Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Bates, and I'm the lead pastor for Resonate Christian Church. And I welcome you this morning to our online broadcast. And wherever you're at today, whether it be you are staying at home or you're just on the road or at work today, just catching a glimpse of this, we want to just let you know that we love you, we care about you, and we are thankful for you. We want to know who you are, we want to know your prayer requests, and also just your thoughts and what you are processing this week. And so if you want to connect with us, go to our Facebook page and connect with us there, our Instagram, connect with us there, or go on our website, resonatelife.org, and you can fill out a connection card and we can get a hold of you through your information that you provide. And so each and every week, we are doing this online broadcast at 10 o'clock. We also have a 9.30 coffee hour, or a half hour rather, and a 9.30 children's church half hour. And if you want to get connected to those, you can. Becky Elliott is one of our pastors on staff, and she can connect you with the coffee half hour. And Bethany Flew can connect you with the children's church half hour. We have some great programming that we do through our Zoom chats uh, during the week and also our community groups as well. If you want any information about that, go ahead and connect with us, fill out that online card, or just message us through one of the social media uh, platforms or directly connect with us via our emails or the info email on our website, and we can get you connected with those during, during the week. If you have a piece of bread and some juice or some wine at home, we want you to get those now just to prepare some communion elements, just a small piece of bread and a small cup of juice or wine. And I'm going to do a small introduction here, and so just turn up the volume on your device, and you can get those in your pantry your kitchen and prepare those now. We do communion each and every week. And we do it online together, and so at the end of my sermon time, we are going to take communion as a group together. Before we get started, I want to light this candle, which is on the stage. This represents Jesus and his light in our life. And I light this because even in the midst of darkness, and even in the midst of pain, or even in the midst of tragedy and crisis, Jesus and his light still shines. Even though we don't feel it sometimes, even though we don't see God moving in our life sometimes, the light of Christ is still with us and for us and shining around us. And so this is just a reminder of the light of Jesus in your life. And this remains lit through our gathering times as that, as that symbol. We are a community that loves like Jesus and our core values, our daily devotion, prayer, freedom from strongholds, serving the community, sacrificial generosity, sharing and knowing our stories, and celebration. And we know that when we cultivate those core values in our life, that loving people like Jesus definitely is more profound in our lives and more active in our lives. As an introduction, we have been talking about racism. We've been talking about race challenges in our culture, and we see it firsthand. Whether you are watching some news cycles or you are witnessing it firsthand, maybe you've been on some protests or marches in the last several weeks, and you have just seen it, been a part of it, and are experiencing the movement which is around our country to uh, reconcile the race challenge and the problem that we have in our country. 
a couple of weeks ago now, a gentleman by the name of George Floyd died at the hands of a police officer in an unjust way. And that was for all the world to see. And that has created definitely cries from the ground, as we're going to talk about um, here in a couple of minutes. And people are responding in different ways. And Charles Dickens once wrote in one of his books that this is the best of times and the worst of times. And I will never negate or downplay the tragedy that we have experienced, although we can't also negate the, the, uh, just the opportunity or the goodness that has come out of this tragedy as well. There are some things that can be seen as good, that as we've seen someone that has perished and died, that out of that it has brought extreme clarity to something that is very ugly. Some extreme clarity to our race divisions that we have in our nation and just the supremacy, the white supremacy that riddles our community. So it's brought a lot of clarity even last year or even several years ago you will see that like maybe white privilege, the term or the phrase white privilege was not a part of your language or Black Lives Matter was considered, maybe that was considered a little too edgy to use maybe several years ago. But now we have been assessing and thinking and there's large groups of people protesting and really some of the commentary that is available to us now about white privilege or white supremacy or race challenges that we have are definitely available being read, processed, and we're listening, and many people are listening and learning because a lot of clarity has been brought to the forefront of the conversation. There are some major challenges, and we have been deceived as people that there's no such thing as white supremacy anymore, or there's no such thing as white privilege anymore. That's a deception that I think that the conversation, the general conversation in our culture has just kind of fogged over or blinded our eyes that, that these things actually exist. And what we have now is we have hate in slow motion. We have eight minutes of hate in slow motion that is just shown for, for all the world to see. It's like the curtain has been drawn back and the man behind the, the curtain is shown. And, and the response to this is that this needs to end now. And that's the fervor that you feel and see and you're experiencing, maybe that you're watching. And it's really interesting to me now is is it's, it's, a, it's advanced now with our protesting and what we see with the response of, of racism in our country, where in Martin Luther King's day, the predominant or the most of the crowd that you, you saw <clears throat> maybe in pictures or <clears throat> maybe you were a part of that, most of the crowd was African-American that was marching and, and protesting. And there were some whites but now you see a, a large group of all races out protesting and saying no more. <clears throat> and that really, is, um, that really is unprecedented. And it really is 
really good and, and, and very good to see that there's, there's, a, there's not just one race advocating for their, their race. There, there's groups of people of all races advocating and promoting and standing in that gap and saying no more. And that really is, an, again, in our lifetime, an unprecedented time. Oh, there's the, the scripture of the axe is hitting the root. And instead of the tree being trimmed on the outside to produce better fruit, uh, the axe has hit the root at the problem. And that's why this is so painful. That's why this is so jarring. That's why this is so emotional for, for many people that, that we have a diseased tree and usually... Usually in a diseased tree, you, you just trim things. And, and maybe that trimming over years has just been a, hey, let's just make this look a little bit better or cover some things up to make it look a little shinier or better. Yet the axe is hitting the root. And when the axe hits the root, we are ready to address the disease. And there is a disease in our country um, and really worldwide called white supremacy. The disease has riddled our nation specifically for, for now centuries. And when you start reading about how this emerged or what caused or, or some root problems, you just see a very um, self-centered, selfish, very ungodly perspective of life. And through that perspective, white supremacy then flourishes. So to my white friends out there, I identify as a white person. If you identify as a white person, I want, I want to repeat something to you that I have repeated in my sermons over and over and over again. But I truly believe something. And, and this, is, this is it. To, to the white listeners, to my, to my white friends out there, that all of your life, all of your joy, and all of your well-being needs to come from Christ. Everything about you, all of your actions, and all of your motivations, even like in the Sermon on the Mount, all of our thoughts and our motivated thoughts need to come and be purified from Christ. They need to come from Christ. And so if somebody looks at you and says, you are coming from the perspective of white privilege, you're seeing through that lens. When somebody says that to you, or I think that you need to have humility in that perspective because that is racially biased, or that is just one, really one-sided or one part of the conversation, you need to expand your perspective. There's no reason to get defensive over that. There's no reason to like, put up walls and say, I'm not that way, or deny that there's white privilege in and of itself. Nobody needs to deny or be defensive in any way. What we need to do is embrace that thought, to embrace that critique, and then to say, I need to check that out. Because when our life is motivated by Christ, our thoughts are, are motivated by by Christ, even the emergence of thoughts 
are motivated and are centered around Christ, we always need to take a check. We always need to look at our lives and our minds and our thoughts and our motivations and our actions and say, I need to check that out. Maybe there is something that I am motivated. I don't need to deconstruct your perspective. I need to take that perspective and maybe deconstruct my own perspective and look at, look at, a, look at the fact that, and if somebody says you're coming from this white privileged perspective, we need to take a check and say, well, I don't need to lean in anymore to my whiteness or my rightness. I, I need to lean into Christ and his person and who Christ expects me to be. He tells me to be Christ-like. I'm not to be my like. I'm not to mean to be my right. I am to be like Christ. And when we lean in on Christ to look at every piece of our heart, to look at every piece of our soul and our mind, and carve out anything and everything that is not motivated by God. I think some of the things that I've listened to has definitely pushed me to saying that. Because a lot of times, especially some people that I know that are friends in some other states and some places that have a history of racism and have a history, there's many places, and Oregon have a history of racism. Uh, in, in some of the places that I've lived, the idea of, of racism is just rampant. I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's just some awful, awful history and current activity and some organizations and groups that are very active in these, in these communities. And some of the responses that I've heard about how there's no such thing as white privilege or why do we have to look at people of color and that debate or that defense that comes from a perspective that's just selfish and self-centered. That comes from a perspective that just is, I'm righteous. You know, I am, the, I am more important than even your opinions or your thoughts. And, and we, need to, we need to do away with any of that selfishness and that pride. We need to just lean into what Christ tells us to be, how he tells us to be, how he tells us to, to act. Because honestly, white people have benefited from the system. And when you benefit from any system, you create a narrative in your head that that's good. It's kind of like, it's like, kind of like an auto-response in our head that when you get something from someone or something or an organization, that system, when you benefit from that system, you think the system's good because it benefits you. And so therefore, you will defend the system to the nth degree because you're benefiting from it. Yet there's a whole group of people that aren't benefiting from it. And do we have the humility to open our minds and our ears and our hearts to the fact that maybe the system is not, is not built and constructed for all of humanity, that maybe it's a closed system, maybe it's an isolated to benefit one or protect one type of, 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 of one, one group of humanity. And we don't need to have that auto-response. So, so the, these whole, all these arguments that maybe you're hearing right now, why do we have to refer to people of color when, when we're all just people? Or, or I don't see color. Things like that that we hear maybe online, on, 
on social media or maybe in some, some news cycles that you are, you are hearing, uh, when we have that dialogue, it literally ignores the systemic problems in our society and pushes those, those people and those thoughts and those ideas literally out of our lives and out of our conversations and out of our, our minds. And so we come up then with falsified equality. We come up with uh, falsified like equity and we never really address the real problem. So in the church uh, specifically, you will hear things like this. I mean, I'm on online forums and I talk to different threads uh, that I'm a part of. And the idea of Black Lives Matter has, has well, predominantly been connected uh, to to maybe a certain group or maybe a certain philosophy or maybe a certain ideal or something like that in the past. And, and when you start talking about Black Lives Matter in the church, you're automatically put into a certain camp. Some Christians actually believe that you're not even a Christian. Some Christians believe that you are, quote, liberal in your theology or your your politics. And so when you start talking about even race relations, you're outside of the norm when you talk about race rela relations in the church. And so, so you are a part of this liberal group, quote unquote. You're a part of liberal politics, or you are part of the democratic plight, or it's, it's fake news, or it's, it's identity politics, whatever, whatever, whatever label people have pointed the finger, what has happened is when you, when you consider in the church many times, when you consider a different conversation than the, the, the norm or the tradition, you many times stand on the outside. And I am, because this idea of racism riddles our, our, our church universal all over America, um, I'm willing to stand on the outside of that. I don't need to stand in that. No one needs to stand in that. Nobody needs to side with a tradition or a way of life or a, or a, or a mantra or any kind of rhetoric. Nobody needs to side with rhetoric that builds, promotes, and continues a systemic problem within our, our human race. And so... So you are welcome in Christ to talk about race relations, race reconciliation, to hang signs that say Black Lives Matter, to go on protests and marches. Uh, I don't promote violence, and I don't think that violence is right, but the peaceful protests that are out there, that the voices are being heard and are being spoken, uh, go do those things and be a part of, of that change. You are not borderline Antifa if you, you know, join some group or do some thing that promotes something better in Christ. You're not a communist if you join a protest and you say, I'm going to stand up for my uh, friends that are, that are friends of, of color. So, so the challenge that we have as the church that has been negated for, for years and years and years is the Bible calls for this kind of race reconciliation. The Bible calls for the unity of 
humanity. It doesn't call for division and separation and, and, and segregation. The Bible does not call for that at all. And anybody that promotes that or thinks that, that is not the gospel and that is not the Bible that, that, that I have. Um, the Bible front and center calls us to the unification of all people on earth, that we have a relationship with others in love that brings um, unity and togetherness and communion that is at the center of the gospel message. And, and to be honest, when Jesus was saying these things and, and unifying people and, and basically declaring that, that we cannot divide anymore, that the walls are being broken down, uh, he was not playing politics at that moment. He was looking at the human person. He was looking at the human being and saying, this human needs to treat this human in a certain way, and that needs to be together in love, and love needs to be promoted in that kingdom living. And to fail to preach this message, which we have as the Church Universal, have failed to preach that, that message of, of unity, because we are div divided as as churches, but to fail that in that the unity of human beings, that that reconciliation needs to be at the center of our conversation of all people. That is white heresy in the church. And I will call call it what it is. Is that is heresy at at the center. That to say and to do and to preach and to be a congregation that is not welcoming and embracing and reaching out and calling for justice to all people, all people, and advocating for those that have been uh, oppressed and suppressed in our, in our world. That is heresy. And I would say that in the United States, that is white heresy in the church. I've been a part of communities and been in part of, of uh, a state uh, that I know that not all people in this state are this way. Um, I know that there's beautiful people there and there's wonderful people in some of the communities that I come from. But there is a, quote, ministry, they call it, for white people. And they definitely think that the Anglo-Saxon white race is the called ones or the saved ones by, by God. And when you start listening to this, this, this rhetoric and you start listening to this, this preaching, you go, how did we get there? I mean, who, who actually believes this stuff? And that's the extreme. There are extremists out there that believe in a, a message that is anti-reconciliation. But yet we all have nuances of that in our speak. All of us are, are probably, especially like us, uh, that, that identify as white uh, followers of Christ. So we are, there were white people. We're guilty of, of this in just the nuances of our speak. 
We are guilty of this in the nuances of our actions. And sometimes it's not nuances. Sometimes it's direct macro aggression against people of, of color. So this message of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation, I've preached it before so many times, but I wonder if all of us have actually heard it, that the message of reconciliation goes beyond just our close two friends or the people that you know, just are in my immediate concentric circle. And based on the last couple of weeks, I hope and I pray that, that all of us would hear this message today. And maybe you've experienced enough and you've seen enough and you've witnessed enough in, in the world right now that maybe, maybe your hearts and our hearts are open a little bit more to hear a more pure message of reconciliation and answering the question, why did Jesus die? That's the question that I, I'm, I'm going to answer today, is why did Jesus, Jesus die? And the main Protestant answer, if you think about the Protestant church, the main Protestant answer of why did Jesus die, if I just look at myself, why did Jesus die for Kevin, so that I can go to heaven and not go to hell? That's, that's it. That is the message that has been promoted for centuries, for, for literally millennia, that if I, if I, Jesus died so that I can go to heaven. And it's a very self-centric type idea or interpretation of the reason why Jesus died. Uh, that is part of the answer. And I believe that's an important part of the answer. I'm not, not denying that that is an important part of the answer. Yet Jesus says, when he's questioned, what is the greatest command? He says, to love God and to love others. And so when Jesus says to love others, that ands, that word chi, in between to love God and to love others. Chi ties those two phrases together. Now, I have repeated that to this congregation for literally a decade, and, and it ties it together. So, so you're probably going, well, I've heard this before, Kevin. Yes. But when we love God, what that means is when we love God, we will love people. And when we love people, that is a, that is a sanctifying, sacrificial act Right, works without deeds. Faith without deeds is is dead. So, so that is a deed. The holy deed of loving people shows that we love God. So you you can't hate people and love God at the same time, and you can't love God and and hate people. Did I say that right? You can't hate people and love God, and you can't uh, love God and hate people. Uh, you will love people uh, when you love God. And that brings the gospel not only to this spiritual, like vertical relationship with God that we have, and it brings the gospel to full round that we will love others because of that love that we have 
with, with Jesus. I want to use this verse, this passage, Ephesians 2.11. And it says this, starting in verse 11, Ephesians 2, chapter 2. It says, So remember that once you were Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised by Jews who are physically circumcised. So there's like a physical difference between the two. At that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you who once were so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of two groups, making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. We both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. So what that tells me is not only did God, did Jesus die to end hostility between God and human beings. Jesus died to end hostility and barriers of hatred, he says, barriers of hatred between people. So he broke the barrier of hatred that divided us. So Jesus died to break down the walls between people. And there's there's division at the time. There was division between people. You had different, these different ethnic groups, and they spent a lot of time name-calling and pushing each other out of their little circle worlds, and there was definitely division and segregation amongst humanity. But Jesus dies and brings unity to humanity, even if, and he says, he says, In Scripture, God tells us that those of you who believe will be considered sometimes fools, right? Sometimes fools. Even if it seems like insanity, Jesus is bringing unity to to our humanity. And so we have different cultures and different races, and we have hierarchy of structures, and we have different religions that are all built in our, in our human ethnocentric cells. We, we have built these things, our culture, our races, our structures, our systems. We've built all of these things that have divided 
people, just even just different classes of people, calling people upper class, middle class, and lower class, even the classes of people are just language that divides us. Our cultures divide us, our religions divide us, our, our structures divide us on this planet. And, and this new humanity that Jesus is calling for, this humanity is to reflect unity and it's to reflect the Trinity. If you think about the Trinity that God, the creator, uh, Jesus, the, 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 the one that reconciles and the spirit is the sustainer, that, that you see a redemption in Jesus, you see a creation with God and you see a sustaining with the Spirit and how that that interacts and plays that it's just one but yet it has different uh, God has different these different identities but there's a togetherness there the, the divine dance Richard Rohr's divine dance as I mentioned last week that there's this there's this interaction in the Trinity that we are supposed to reflect we are supposed to reflect that interaction, that beauty, that communion with, with other people as the Trinity is reflected in humanity because, and this is my first point, because all people are created in the image of God. You've heard this before. If you've been around Resonate for a week, you've heard that we are created in the image of of God, that all people are created equal, that there's no male or female, there's no Greek or Jew, there's no barbarian, there's no, there's no classes of people, there's, there's none of this, that, that, that there's no division, that we are all created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. All races, in God's eyes, all races actually are, are, are human, that we are human. And, and race actually, this idea of race classification is a very sad history um, in Western colonialism. In the 16th, 18th century, basically we came up with, white people came up with a race classification to uh, basically teach and learn how to treat people poorly how to treat different races of people, that if you have this physical difference or this color of skin, you were treated in a, in a certain way. It's, it's a very Western uh, idea of, of race classification. And in God's image, there is no difference between people. There's actually, actually, there's no like races. It's, we are all human beings. When I say that, though, many times a, a white person will leverage that and say, see, we don't need to like call people of, of color, or we don't need to see people that way, that I don't need to see, to see color. The challenge with that is, is even though God has created us in the image of God as humanity that is united, Human beings treat each other much differently. Hence, we have race classifications. So what is our job because we act this way in the, in the horizontal relationship? 
with other people. Well, we have hidden biases, we have prejudices, we have preferences, we have commonalities, we have cultural differences, we have opinions, we have all these things just kind of mulling around in, in our heads and in our beings and in our, in our actions. And it is our job, it is our job to have self-awareness and to become more like Christ in all things and enter into what we'll call race reconciliation. If we are to be ministers of reconciliation, race reconciliation is a, is a huge part of that. Uh, people reconciliation in general, we always talk about that as I hurt you, you hurt me. Yet now this is, a, this is next level stuff where we need to look at our hidden biases, our hidden prejudices, even the subconscious reality in which and the narrative in which I speak to myself that, just like I said, I benefit from a system, therefore the system is good. We need to look at all of those things and enter into a self-awareness, self-almost-cleansing moment of reconstructing renewing and being transformed, as the Bible said, transformed of our minds in order to look at another individual and see them as God created them. And if they have endured and been subjected to anything different, we need to do all that we can, everything in our being possible to reconcile those wrongs. That is what reconciliation is, is all about. Because in the image of God, the, the, the only people in history that were ever called the image of God were kings and queens. Kings and queens were called the image of God. Those were the only, that's the only group of people, royalty, that were allowed to carry that, that title. And they ruled over people. Those kings and queens ruled over people. In God's kingdom, he calls us basically the image of God. We are the kings and the queens that we have been given this task to rule over the earth, not people. There are specific verses that say that we are not to lord our authority over people. There's specific verses that denounce that behavior that we're not to lord over another person. We are the kings and queens. We're the royalty. We're the, the new priesthood, right, of God. We are the royalty of God. We're the kings and the queens in God's kingdom to rule over basically the animal kingdom and to, to cultivate and to, to nurture the earth. It was never the job, ever, of people in God's kingdom to rule over another person. Yet this idea of race classification and segregation and, and separation is a symptom of human beings and shows in this whole last several weeks, definitely has shown that human beings are really bad at reconciling. We're really bad at it. And we are unreconciled people. Look at how whites have treated people of color. Just, just that in and of itself 
makes me angry enough to call this out to say, we need, some, we need to do some hard work. We need to do, enter into this conversation and, and do some hard work because the welfare of another person and the calling to reconcile and be a part of the promotion and advocacy and loving another person is the greatest command in Scripture. And, and if we can't see that, we need to look at Scripture again. We need to talk about reconciliation again. We need to hammer this central message of the gospel again. If you look at in Genesis 4, so we look at Genesis 1, the image of God. If you look at Genesis 4, you see things go awry. Sin enters the world and we see some rebellion, we see some hiding, we see some now disruption because of pride and, and sin and and I at the center of, of everything here in, in, the Genesis, uh, in the Genesis poem. And you advance forward in Genesis 4, and you have two brothers, Cain and Abel, and this is where it really goes awry, where things increase and, and, and selfishness increases and pride increases, and Cain kills Abel. Some of you know this story, and we read this in the story, the voices, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So corruption and violence, this injustice and the blood of the unjust, the killing cries up from the ground. And this is what you see today. Why this is so emotional and why this is so important and why this stirs so much in so many people is, number one, we most people probably witnessed firsthand via video what happens, but yet all unjust behavior cries up like the blood from the ground. So unjust killing um, deserves the purest of protests. And you see protests of, of, of calling for justice because injustice is crying up from the ground. The blood of the fallen cry and demand justice. And God hears this. It's a beautiful thing. What is, what is interesting and an interesting thought is God hears our tears. God hears our cries. God hears our anger. God hears our fight for what is, is right. This is the calling that he has put in our heart, the reconciliation calling to, to right the wrong things. That's a beautiful thing in, in God's eyes, and he hears that in his ears. So, so race reconciliation is like this initial call from God that's a sanctifying sacrifice to God that he hears and smells like sweet aroma that we would write what was, what was wrong, that we would seek, as, I, as I, I preached on Micah and the idea of do justice. We would seek justice and make justice. That making of justice is the purest form of reconciliation, the writing of what was, what was wrong. When we don't participate in that, when we ignore that, and we downplay that, and we like deconstruct that, 
it continues to go awry. So I'm going to pause for a moment because the entire rest of the Bible is the same story. The entire rest of the Bible is humanity is fragmented because of sin. And it is divided and it breaks God's heart. Yet God's calling is to unite and always has been to unite humanity under him. That he is to unite humanity and he is, he is, his heart is to call humanity back together into, into unity. And he calls different people to the task. He sends prophets. He sends judges. He sends teachers. He sends priests. He sends rabbis. Yet, in all through the Old Testament, it remains fragmented and it remains divided. So Jesus shows up, lives this life, calls for the same unity, calls for the same love, and he says, basically, we see in the New Testament, God calls this unity the new creation. We had this creation that went fragmented. Now we have the new creation. We are called the image of God. Kings and queens rule over the earth, yet life is fragmented. The blood of injustice cries up from the ground, and that injustice, basically Jesus comes, dies on a cross, and, and unites all of humanity in the cross in the cross together, declaring that we are the new creation, that we are one people, one people again. What's interesting uh, at this point is that message usually is not, not preached in the, in the race context. That message is usually just preached in the kind of the people to to people context, or maybe it's the sons and the daughters and the parents and the cousins, and, and we're not reconciled together as family, you know, or maybe the church division where this group is mad at the color of the carpet and, and this group is mad because of the songs that we sing or whatever it is, and we come divided and we preach this message of unity and reconciliation based on really frivolous things and, and really lame things. The world is divided and, and segmented and opposing in race. The color of our skin and our physical differences. That, to me, when I repeat that, that, that actually just sounds just literally insane to me. Like, how is that possible that we look at another person, downplay them, oppress them, subject them to basically unjust practices and death, how do we behave that way and call ourselves human beings? To, to say that we are human beings and to act in that, that's not human. And that's not the way that we are called as human beings, human beings to, to be. So we look at these injustices in the world and we look at the things that are going on around us and a lot of times we just throw out platitudes. We say, well, I don't understand things and God's a mystery. God's a mystery. And Christians throw out these platitudes of just like kind of just kind of washing things, things away. Or maybe I don't understand somebody's suffering and so I have this like Christian cliche of, well, God's not going to give you more than you can handle, right? And we throw that at somebody and... 
thanks, you know, like, I can't handle this right now, and you're telling me God's not going to give me it. He already did. I'm, I'm dealing with it right now, right? So, so when we see heartache and we, we see injustices, a lot of times, and you'll see them right now, that Christians are just kind of throwing platitudes around, or people don't even want to talk about it. The, yet the scripture that we see in Ephesians 2, he makes peace. And so when you make peace, we need to talk about it. When you make peace, we need to enter into the awkward, difficult conversation, the hard work, and to make peace. We need to make peace. We don't need to keep peace and kind of wash it all away and sweep it under the rug. We need to make peace, to do the hard work, to bring and unite people together. That takes hard, hard work. Um, we can't just Christian platitude people around and to say, and, and to, you know, Facebook pictures of our cats um, and, and just can't we all have just joy right now? We, we can't do that. We need to enter into the difficulty. We need to enter into the reconciliation, the reckoning of, of taking right or taking wrong and, and making it, it right. That takes a lot of hard work. Um, one of those verses that we throw out is Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 says, uh, my plans are not your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans higher than your plans. I just read that this week. Somebody just kind of threw that out there. But I don't understand what's going on in the world today, but God does, and he's in control, and he's a sovereign God, and we just kind of throw it up to God and say, it's God's problem, you know, and, and I don't understand what God's doing right now. His plans are greater than, than my plans. Can I read for you that scripture in Isaiah 55? Because it shocked me that, that that was thrown out there just as kind of a platitude. I don't understand. You know, we're going through this. We're divided. We have race problems in our country, and I'm just going to throw out, well, God has the answer, and I believe that God has the answer, and I believe that his plans are higher than, than my plans. But, but listen to what this scripture actually says in Isaiah 55. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, whoever has no food, come and eat food. Buy food and eat without money, he says, at no cost. Buy wine, buy milk with no money. Just come and have plenty. And then in verse 5, if I look at verse 5, look. You will call a nation you don't know. A nation you don't know will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel who has glorified you. Basically, the scripture that we're using to throw out platitudes that we don't understand what's going on in the world is the call for the nations and the races to say, come, be united, let's give, let's provide, let's feed those that are hungry, no money. You don't need money. Just give of ourselves sacrificial generosity to those that are in need, those that have been oppressed, those that have been subjected to violence, those have been, have been downplayed in our society. Come, let's come together and let's build each other up and promote each other and advocate for unity, equality, and equity in our society because that is what the call and the demand in Scripture to love people in the kingdom of God. And that is the kingdom king and queen calling in our society. And I hope and I pray 
that that reconciliation, that race reconciliation is the central theme now. As you've watched the last couple of weeks, the central theme that's buried now, not buried that you can't see it, but is the forefront, the front burner conversation that you are having in your life because it's the forefront or front burner conversation in mind. And we need to work hard to overcome race division, overcome any kind of supremacy, and advocate, prop up, and give and support and seek justice in all that's unjust because the blood of the unjust is crying up from the ground. And that is our call to enter, that is our call to unite, and that is our call to sacrifice for the sake of another person. And that is what. Jesus, he sat around this table and he said, do this in remembrance of me. The bread, the wine, do this in remembrance of me. He says, this is my body. This is my blood. This is the new creation. This is now how you're walking, united as people, propping, advocating uh, each other, supporting each other, and calling for unity and greatness calling for something better in this world than selfishness and pride and, and separation, calling for communion with one another. Let's take this communion as a representation of that. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. And wherever you are at, I want you to stand and I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for this scripture that you are at work at making peace. Lord, help us to be at work making peace. You've called us the image of God. You've called us to right the wrongs and to enter into the hard work of reconciliation. Lord, I pray that we would have the posture and the attitude to do that today and from this day forward. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.